it's not about how I want it to end. It really is about staying true to that character. Oh, yeah, for sure. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yannis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by talking to fans and critics alike uh, about a film that either they grew up with or something that they really emotionally resonate with, um, something that they connect with on a personal level. So this week, I'm joined by Angela Betancourt. Angela, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So uh, why don't you tell listeners a little bit about uh, who you are and what you have going on? Sure. So I'm, I work in communications and marketing, and I love working on communication strategies for small businesses. And I'm also really big on pop culture. I love film. I love anything that involves the creative arts. And I see movies particularly as a form of escape, but also um, great topics of discussion for themes of our lives. And I'm just really excited to be here. Yeah, I've worked in uh, marketing and communications in a corporate environment before. And I don't know, I think there's something about maybe because we're so focused on what our message is, and what what we're trying to get across and whatever project we're working on that I feel like people in that line of work tend to be more generally disposed to, uh, you know, creativity and and, uh, entertainment, getting getting more out of it than just escapism, kind of um, more of a cultural enrichment, whether that's like you're really big into music and or or reading or in this case, film. Um, So I I 100 percent understand where you're coming from. Uh, You know, I'm I feel like I've tended to lean more populist in my in my thoughts on movies these days. But, uh, you know, I really I really love when a, a film can start a conversation afterwards. And I think that the one we're going to talk about today definitely qualifies. Exactly. Especially when I want the main character to do something other than what that character is doing. Mm-hmm. It really evokes a sense of intrigue in me, but also sometimes frustration and it gives me a moment to kind of reflect on what I would really do in that situation. And it's just movies that really give you a new perspective on things. I find them to be uh, just so enriching as, as you mentioned. And also because I really feel that as a storyteller myself and, and working in communications and telling all of these different stories and especially from that perspective of public relations and media relations that I'm always looking for great stories. I always want to be inspired and movies that awaken that in me, I think are always films that I consider great. Do you, uh, do you, you know, you hear all the time about different people saying like, Oh, they don't make, they don't, don't make good movies like they used to anymore or anything like that. Do you think there's any truth to that? Or do you feel that it's maybe the films that aren't not necessarily top of the box office. You just have to dig a little deeper for those gems. I think that great movies are still being made. And I think that a lot of these films don't always get the attention that they deserve, right? We always see the big blockbuster films and they have tons of trailers and people are talking about it actively on social media and the marketing team of these films are doing phenomenal jobs of being everywhere. But then there are so many independent films 
filmmakers out there that are really doing incredible things. And, and I've seen that going into film festivals. I love going to film festivals in different cities because that's where you get to see beautiful films on a variety of topics and genres that you wouldn't otherwise get exposed to by just watching trailers on YouTube or in the theater. And I really believe that phenomenal movies are still being made in, in every in every genre, actually. Yeah, and it's, I think, to your point about film festivals, I think you, you get more of that raw talent, that vision, and hasn't been, you know, it, it hasn't gone through a, a million uh boardrooms of, of people saying like, well, can you tone this down or play this up and things like that? And, you know, on the pre- previous episode of the podcast, I talked about Star Wars because I'm big into Star Wars, but that's Disney. It pretty much owns 40%, I think, of the market share these days. And they're the, you know, they make good movies sometimes, but it's also, that's like the pinnacle of this kind of corporate filmmaking that, yeah, those Marvel movies are, are fun, but they all kind of tick the similar boxes and very rarely do they step outside of them. Exactly. And I think that a lot of those movies also have that historical context, right? Mm -hmm. Characters that we grew up with, characters that were around before we were born, characters that have these these storylines that have been around for 30, 40, 50 years that keep getting reinvented. And so there's a lot that I think these films can lean on in the terms of you're presenting a movie that a lot of different generations have already been exposed to. And now they come into it thinking, this is great. Let's see what what interesting spin they've put on it this time or I think about the evolution of Batman right who mm-hmm. I think is one of the largest character evolutions in terms of kind of these campy TV show personas and to this dark night vibe and and I think it's great in in that way but at the same time a lot of films that don't have that, that they're the, it's the first time that they're introducing a character or telling a story that's never been told, they don't really have that historical context to lean on. And I think that in many ways, those films don't get the same kind of exposure that these other films do just because of the nature of, of the film, right? If, even if right. they come up with a film that's not great, you can still say, well, compared to the film from five years ago, X, Y, Z. So I think um, great movies are still being made, and that's why I'm such a big fan of film festivals. And because there's so many things out there, I think that stories that are being told that I think a lot of audiences have never been exposed to. Yeah, absolutely. I I 100% agree. And uh, the film we're actually going to talk about, I think, came out probably a limited theatrical release. It made, I think, a total of about nine million at the U.S. or North American box office. And uh, it struck me watching it today that how how easily this could have just been staged as a play, that it's usually two or three people in a room having a conversation. And we'll get more into that in a minute. But uh, you contrast to this to movies that cost hundreds of millions of dollars and it's all CG backgrounds, green screen and things like that. And this is kind of uh, a back to basics approach to filmmaking. And I think that, uh, you know, that's unfortunately a harder film to find an audience these days. Everything's about franchises and everything. Um, but I, I'm glad that you I'm glad that you wanted to talk about it, because I think there's uh, there's a good there's a there's a meaty conversation to be had to be wrung out of uh, the story of this film. So 
that being said, uh, I guess let's listen to a little bit of the trailer for the film we're going to talk about in this episode, The Wife. Don't paint me as a victim. I am much more interesting than that. Don't walk away from me, diamond! I can't do it anymore. I can't take it. I can't take the humiliation. What are we doing? Joan, we're not bad people. I think you are sick and tired of Joe Castleman. I would like to convey to you the warm congratulations of the Swedish Academy. You have reinvented the very nature of storytelling. Tell me about yourself. You have an occupation. I do. And what is that? I am a kingmaker. That was a little bit of the trailer for The Wife. Directed by Bjorn Runge. I, I think I'm pronouncing that name correctly. I, I probably am not. Uh, but he is a Swedish filmmaker. And, and he actually has uh, a pretty lengthy filmography before this. So, of course, starring Glenn Close, Jonathan Price, Christian Slater, and a few others, which I'm sure we'll get to. And this film very nearly got Glenn Close the Academy Award. I think everybody was really expecting that. Uh, that to happen what did you were you do you follow the oscars at all or did were you really watching that night to see if she was going to win i do follow the oscars and i'm not always what happens to me a lot of times is the oscar shows up and then i realize i'm still missing six of the films mm-hmm. or whatever that have been nominated and i'm in, in a you know mad rush to catch up to it after the fact but i i was aware of her nomination in this i don't believe she's won an academy award yet no which is crazy and, which is ridiculously crazy and she is just brilliant absolutely brilliant in this film but just in general and i i was watching to see if this if this was you know that night was going to be her night i i think a lot of people were watching closely to see she's i mean it's way overdue i think for her yeah, I think everybody thinks that as well, um, especially when she won the Golden Globe for this performance and she gave such a great speech. And a lot of times, you know, the, that helps to kind of boost their their profile or their chances of getting votes and stuff because she made a huge impression that night as well. Um, so just to delve into briefly what the film is about. So uh, Glenn Close plays Joan Castleman, husband, uh, wife to uh, this acclaimed author who's on the verge of getting awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature. And then it really just uh, kind of a dissection or deconstruction of their relationship and the family dynamic uh, throughout the course of the film. So before we get into like the heavy review segment, um, why did you pick this film? When did you first see it? Like, what's the story behind that? I watched this uh, film on a flight. I travel quite a bit and I catch up on my movies on planes. And I, you know, Oscar season arrived this year and I realized, okay, once again, I haven't seen a lot of these films. And so I made a, a very intentional effort to make sure that I watch these films and plane rides are, are great times to do that. And so I watched this movie on a flight and I thought, okay, there were a few others that called my attention that I hadn't seen, but I was really, I wasn't, some of those were just, I wasn't in the mood for that. I, I, I wasn't more in the mood for something with Glenn Close in it, to be honest. And I thought, okay, let's, let's watch this film. And I, it was interesting the way that it was, that it was written and it was shot, you know, it's based on the book by Meg Wolitzer and 
I, I think it was a really good adaptation of that. And the way that the movie builds up and the way that there is, you, you really don't know what's going to happen in many senses and, and when she's going to feel that moment to finally express her truth, if you will, mm-hmm. there really isn't a pivotal point of when that's exactly going to happen for me. And what I loved about this film was that element of, I'm not really sure where this is, how this is going to end. What is she really going to do up to even up to the very end of the film? And I loved the fact that I loved her character as a woman. She really, to me, was just such a full character of what it is to be a wife and a mother and a woman. And so much of that, I thought, was brilliantly done. And her decisions and her elegance and grace throughout the whole film and and, and incredible patience were all things that really appealed to me about this film that I loved. Um, yeah, I, I actually, I don't know if she was nom- if the Oscar nominations had come out before I saw this, but I knew that she was in the conversation, probably a likely Oscar winner or close. I know it was <laughs> pun intended close between her and <laughs> Lady Gaga and uh, Olivia Coleman, who ended up winning. I know that was kind of those were the three circling uh, the, the, the lead of the best actress category. So uh, I saw it knowing that she was on that trajectory. And for for I say probably the first half of the movie, I'm like, okay, she's doing really, you know, good understated work. And then as it goes on, it's this like slow unraveling of her character, which will, again, which we'll get into. Um, and yeah, I was totally floored by it by the end. And uh, and I knew basically nothing about it going in except that it starred Glenn Close, and it was you know kind of a, a tour de force performance for her. Um, and and that was basically. The, you know, and I love going into movies like that. That so rarely happens these days, where you walk into a film and you're like, "All right, it's called this." It's I don't really 100% know the the genre. It stars this person, and this is the name of the movie, and that's it. And you just walk in without any any idea of like, "Oh, this is the part from the trailer," or "This is you know." You don't know, like you said, you don't know where it's going. And I think that really benefits a film like this that that it, it it's all underneath the surface, um, and it takes pretty much the whole runtime. I mean, the movie is only like 99 minutes long. I'd say it's at least over an hour into it before any kind of major revelation is really confirmed. Right. I agree with you. And I think that's part of the brilliance of this film is there's this constraint about her. This it's, I think it was done intentionally to show, you know, they were married in, in the character, you know, the two characters met when in university, I think it was 1954, if I'm not mistaken, when, and they have these flashbacks and to, you know, to provide context. But throughout the film, in, in, in the current present moment of the film, there is this unraveling of her patience that is happening so slowly and so nuanced mm-hmm. that I think as an, as an actress takes incredible talent and incredible skill because as as the viewer I'm sitting there thinking I would have lost my cool about 45 minutes ago in this situation right. I I just don't understand how she how this character how her character is so graceful and patient and with with you know showing so much grace even though at the same time you can see that that pot is boiling 
beneath the surface and it's gradually building. It's this, you know, it, it doesn't reach full boil, you know, boiling point until until later in the film. But it's this wonderful balance between her being, you know, this good wife and and the the, the role that she plays as the supporter, as pretty much everything, as the person who remembers where everything is, glasses, medication, everything. And 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 through all of this, her her facial expressions, with very little words, you can see this buildup of impatience creeping in. And and it's and it's brilliant how she is able to do that. I I think it really speaks to her her generation in the film where she started as as kind of this character that's very, you know, intrigued with this man and 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 passionate about the situation and really in for that experience to, you know, fast forward to where she is today and how she's maintained that same disposition until she hit, you know, her boiling point. I, I, it's just beautifully done, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And, um, you know, it's, it, the flashbacks really, I think, lay the groundwork for that really is exploring not only the state that she's in, but how long she's been in that state and how long that pot has been boiling for yes. decades. Decades. I, I couldn't. And as you know, and, and on a, to a larger point, I mean, obviously the film gets into more specifics about this relationship, but to a larger point, like the, the movie really has a lot to say about a relationship and sort of the baggage that like, in addition to whether, you know, this, this particular situation, I feel like more broadly, the film is commenting on a, a marriage, a relationship, and how it accumulates this emotional baggage over time, and how bitterness builds, and how you kind of, a lot of times, people become complacent in their relationship, whether or not something is right or wrong, and oh, we'll, we'll get there. Um, and I, you know, being, my wife and I just celebrated our, our fifth wedding anniversary. Um, thank you. Like, uh, last week, earlier this month or so. And um, so, you, you know, coming to that perspective, to this movie from that perspective and having seen it now a second time, knowing where it's headed, I was picking up on all those subtle cues, all those like little uh, ways in which the camera kind of gently shifts over to, to Glenn, Co- Glenn Close's reaction to Joan's reaction to everything going on with her husband and hit all the, uh, the praise that he's getting and all this other stuff and breaking down that cliche of this, the, the, you know, dutiful supportive wife really mining her emotional response to the role that she's sort of fallen into over the course of this, uh, over the course of this marriage. And, and again, with the flashbacks learning how long she's been in this role and how long she's put up with, uh, you know, uh, everything that's been going on around her before I'll getting into too specific. Um, so that, from that perspective, you know, really seeing the movie, uh, two times, I think it's, it's a movie that rewards repeat viewings for that reason, for the, details in uh, Glenn Close's performance, but also coming to it from someone who's been married a few years, you're like, oh man, we've got to really, <laughs> let's, let's not let something like this happen where we're growing apart over the next few decades. Um, I think it, it, ma- it makes it a little personal for, uh, for me at least. Yeah. I, for me, I, I am not a married person. And from my perspective, it get you know, I really think about, well, what is, and I speak to, and I, you know, I, I spoke to my married friends about this film. What, is really marriage and and this commitment you make to the other person right and standing beside them and supporting them and you know as she so famously says in the film which i think is my favorite 
line in the film. And then, of course, the response to that was very telling as well was when during this dinner. And I, I don't know. I don't know in terms of spoiling stuff, but my favorite line in the film was and I think it is actually in one of the previews as well is when at this dinner they ask her you know a diplomat or somebody of very high caliber turns to her and says you know and what do you do and she says I'm a king maker mm-hmm. yeah I wrote that down too and he says oh my wife would say the same and I thought that's fascinating to me and to what extent is that how does that play out I think in in real marriages today and what does it mean to really stand by someone to that degree and it was just wonderful for me to see that because what 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 would someone else do in that same situation how long for decades would they keep this this facade this lie and so it just gave me a lot to think about and it's a conversation I love talking to or talking about with married people because as a as a non-married person I feel what does you know when I get married someday or if I get married someday what what does that look like for me what would I do and it just it's it's really interesting to to think about that and to talk about that and as you mentioned you know being a married person um not letting that not learning from those lessons and not letting something like that happen in your own marriage I think is also very fascinating yeah, it definitely has. The film definitely has a very specific uh, perspective on mar- marriage and relationships in general. And I think there's also an element of it that, th- it, in a way, the film has to has to be set when it's set. I mean, even the the present day part of it is set in 1992. It says at the beginning, which I'd forgotten about. Um, so, so that they could, you know, could really focus on the relationship kind of developing in the late 50s early 60s uh because part of it is obviously a generational thing like i don't think post-feminist you know post the feminist movement and all that like modern women i don't think would stand for this kind of shit as much as joan does because it's also like part of the times and you know she's she's uh i guess we should kind of we're, we're basically leading right into the review this segment so i should we should just start that now okay um, <laughs> and then we get, then, then we don't have to dance around things anymore um but she's told very early on uh we see in their flashbacks that when they get together he's her professor and uh, she's an aspiring writer, and she's ultimately told, "Oh, you know, don't don't do this. You know, they're not going to take you seriously. The men in the the publishing houses, even if they do, nobody's going to read it." And I thought that moment felt very true to that era. Agreed. Um, and I don't know. I felt I felt very conflicted about it because even though it felt like that's something that someone would say at that time, I mean, someone points out. Um, sometime in the film, I forget who it is exactly, but someone mentions to her like, "Oh, there's there's a lot of authors, female authors, you know, nowadays or things like that." And so it's like it's a question of the market not necessarily being ready for female authors. And you you know you have that scene where she's pouring coffee and the, all, all the publishers and like this the the you know they're reading manuscripts and they're saying, "Oh, this one's from a lady writer." I couldn't relate to it, you know that kind of thing and how they brace basically brush that off. Uh, there's that element to it, but then there's the other element that she has some insecurity within her, probably perpetuated by her significant other at the time. I mean, I know it's perpetuated by him, um, that she doesn't really want to put herself through that. Like, she's not willing to face uh, the likely rejection that she's going to get from the literary community. I I agree with you, and I, I agree that in terms of absolutely it's a generational thing, and 
when I think about that and your, the point you just made in terms of the rejection, she was, she was not put in a position of, of success from the very beginning, right? right. It's, it shows that she's not going to be taken seriously as a female writer. And I think that really ate away at her. And then she falls in love with this, you know, professor person. And there's an opportunity for her to at least then express her writing through him because as they made very clear in, in the film, no one, you know, quote unquote, is going to read something by a woman. It's going to end up on the bookshelf based on what that other, there was interaction with that other woman who did author things. And she said, it's just sitting in a shelf somewhere. No one's reading it. And so from the beginning, I think it, she was kept down or disillusioned. Then she finds an opportunity to express her voice, find her voice and have people read her stuff, even though she's not getting the credit for it. And so I, I can understand to some extent her finding, you know, sticking through that whole process, right? The, the eight hours a day sitting and locked up in a room. But I think what bothered me about the situation is Joe's character and his his philandering, mm-hmm. right? I think, you know, when I think about their whole relationship, when they first meet, I think she is in some ways eager to and excited about this process in some ways or, or willing to put up with this process because people are reading her, her things. But I just don't like that the way he's treating her throughout this whole process makes it difficult for me to understand why she would continue in this marriage. You know, she oh, she reads his his novel and gives her honest feedback, which he asked for. And then he flips out and basically like, oh, this relationship is doomed. I'm, it's over between us. And he's basically kind of entraps her in a way that early in the relationship, like giving her no, I guess, you know, she's supposed to be what, a teenager, early 20s. And he's mm-hmm. a decade at least older and uh, cheated on his previous wife with her in the first place. And, um, y- you know, he just can't deal with any kind of criticism. And it's just like this. I even said to my wife, we were watching it earlier today, I'm like, this is basically white male privilege, the movie, because he's just can't handle it. And he's just like, no, 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 I, I need to be told that what I'm doing is perfect. Otherwise, you know, uh, then there must be something wrong with you or all that. And that's that's the starting point for their relationship. I, I didn't even think about the whole white male privilege perspective. I completely agree with you now that you've mentioned it. Uh, yes, there's certainly elements of that. And, and, and again, I think that's also very, you know, the fifties, you know, the boys, you know, the boys club, the, the white male thing going on and getting away with things. And I looked at him as he's just always been this man without a backbone. He's a child, you know, they, they had three children, I believe, right. in in the marriage and, he was, but he was real, the real child all along. Well, and his, and you know, you find out or through the course of Joan interacting with the uh, Nathaniel Bone character played by Christian Slater, who's looking to write a biography about Joe. You find out that he barely doesn't, he doesn't even talk to his ex-wife or his previous daughter from the previous marriage. Like he's basically like just moved on and uh, because they're not, they're not, you know, 
they're kind of embarrassed by that part of their life and the way that their their Joe and Joan's marriage started. And uh, even the whole film, he's just going around. Like, I feel like Jonathan Price is eating in every single scene in this movie, and they're always telling him, you're stuffing your face <laughs> with animal fat. You're like, you have a heart situation. And he's, there's reference to uh, early on when he's making a speech, he says, oh, you know, a few bypasses later, I'm still here. And so clearly he's had health issues that he's just like, eh, whatever, it's fine. She'll take care of me. She's just like leaning on him, or he's leaning on her so much that he's just, as you said, he's a child. He's just throwing caution to the wind. And like, oh, my wife will clean up my mess. It's like over the course of the movie to learn that he's been taking credit for what she's been doing all this time for decades. And then to watch her at, uh, you know, in uh, Stockholm going through this whole process. And then the, the, the lady part of the team that's taking care of them is like, oh, you know, we can arrange some shopping for you or a beauty thing. And I'm like, Jesus, it's very frustrating to watch this movie, knowing the where it's going and having watched it the second time. It, it just there's so much that condensation. There's just so much putting her down in so many of the scenes people just and really she's the genius behind and that's that's why that's what makes for me her performance so incredible is that she she kept this composure while at the same time you can just see that she's starting to just get enraged inside and i thought that especially as it builds up towards the end and to bring in christian slater into the movie um, because I thought he was also really great um, in, yeah, in his role. And I love the scene where it's getting a little bit flirtatious between the two of them because she, it's just interesting to see that other side of her. And yet even with the flirtation, the flirtation, she still keeps her, her cool. She never loses it at all, really, except there's that one scene. But in terms of, with other people or in public, she just doesn't, she doesn't, you know, she's like poker face. And I just think it's amazing. Yeah. And you see, you see, uh, the cracks kind of, uh, forming, uh, intermittently throughout the film. But of course, yeah. before you, before it's revealed what's going on, you don't really understand why she's like, uh, like the way that the camera actually focuses more on her reaction than his, when they get the phone call confirming that they're, he's, they're, giving him the Nobel and then they're jumping up on the bed, which is again referenced later when they jump up when they're getting published and you, you, right. you see them later with young Joe and Joan uh, jumping up. We're getting published. We're going to, and here it's like him going, I won the Nobel and she's just jumping up. And, and then when he says that it like shakes her up and she's like taken back because of the weight of knowing that it's really her and she's not getting the credit for it. And like all of that, I thought it was really subtly done. Oh, I agree. I think the directing in this film was spectacular. And the angles, you know, there's that one scene where he's, it's the middle of the night and he's sitting in that, that, that big space. I loved, I just love that, that whole, that cinematography of, of that moment because here's this, here's a singular person who's been very much, everything's really been about him this entire time. And the symbolism of this big, big space around him empty empty space around him i thought was also very powerful yeah is, is that's the scene in the middle of the night where he's again eating and the, fr- yeah. and the and he almost basically hooks up with the photographer yes yeah he hasn't changed his behavior he's not looking to he's just not no interest in in anything the most that we get from him just to, to shift over to joe for a second for which we should also mention jonathan price is really great in this film too a lot of it is kind of a two-hander with the two of them playing off of each other you know you get a lot of guilt on his side and that's probably part of why he's he's cheating on her he's blaming it on the thing that's going on with her and that and that he feels bad about it so that he's like a self-destructive thing um 
uh, and you know he he references throughout like oh without this woman I'm nothing and like I'd like to thank you know my uh, my wife and um, in his speech that's the other thing too that I wanted to make sure I mentioned and he does she, she asks she's been putting up with this behavior from him for decades uh, right so right. He, she says just please one thing I ask of you please do not. And thank me in your speech. I don't want to look at like the long suffering wife, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, and his concern is not, oh, I have to thank you. You wrote these things. His concern is, but it'll make me look like an asshole if I don't. Like everything, he's so focused on his image and how other, what other people are going to think, not the way he's treating his wife or his son and things like that. And that, I, I think, I think that really it ends up being kind of his defining characteristic. I agree. It's, it's really about him. He's, He's self-centered. It's this whole his whole life has been about how he looks, how he's perceived, and her whole life too. That's the that's the thing. Exactly. But I think you know coming and and I and I and I agree with you. Just to backtrack for a second, that you know Jonathan Price is brilliant in this. You know, I I've I've seen him in in things previously, but it wasn't really until Game of Thrones that I really kind of immersed myself in, in, in who he is as an actor because of the high sparrow. And I couldn't help but notice what to me felt like a couple of elements of his character in game of Thrones mm-hmm. peeking, poking through a little bit in this character. And maybe that's just my imagination because I'm such a game of Thrones fan, but I did see, you know, in both, in both scenarios, they're just not the good characters. You know, they're, they're not the good guys. And, I just thought that that was really interesting, but yeah, he's, you know, this character in this film is, is it's all about him. It, he doesn't care how it comes across to anyone else, as long as he looks good and, and he is able to keep up this fake image that he's created for himself. And even at the, at the, at the cost of destroying not just his marriage, but the relationship with his son, mm-hmm. you know, that's such an interesting dynamic as well is that, you know, the children always know kind of vibe that something's wrong and to grow up in that frame of mind of something is off here. Can someone just please tell me what it is or what's really going on? Because I know something is not right. And even, even knowing, even knowing the damage that is, that he's causing to his son, he's still, it doesn't matter. It's still about him and his world and this fake life he's, he lives in. And you get that heart wrenching flashback where David, young David wants to go see his mom and show her something. And, and uh, Joe's like, no, no, get out of there. She's your mom's working. And she's like, mom, I want to show you. And she's like basically entrapped. You know, actually uh, a movie I recently caught up with that I had never seen is uh, big eyes, the Tim Burton movie from, I don't know, four or five years ago. And that is very, it struck me how similar the themes are to that, uh, to that film in The Wife. Because again, that's a movie about, um, I think it's also in the 60s, and um, she's a painter, and he's a painter, presumably. But, oh, I saw uh, that. Yeah, see? With, with Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz. And he's very good at uh, the people stuff and schmoozing. And meanwhile, she's the genius behind all the work that he's taking credit for. So this is very kind of a similar uh, similar story handled in a completely different way. But it, it struck me like that would be like a great double feature, the big eyes and, and the wife, because they do focus on kind of a, a one-sided marriage, I guess, in a way. 
where she's giving uh, her all to him. And he's just like, cool, thanks. I'll, I'll enjoy that. I'll put it in my back pocket and, and make me look good. Um, and, and it also, it's funny, it makes me think of the movie Mother from uh, 2017 that I yeah. recently talked on this podcast about. Yep. Yeah. Uh, because that is another one where she's like literally giving everything she has to feed his creative process. At least in that one, he's doing his own writing. But still, um, still, it's, uh, you know, focusing on the suffering of the woman for the betterment of the man, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I agree. Cause the, those films, I, it's, yeah, I do see elements of, of that kind of um, perspective and, and, and that same theme uh, absolutely showing up, you know, it's similar to, to this film as well. These women that are the geniuses behind the man and don't get the credit or have their ideas stolen or are completely taken advantage of as a woman watching the film. It's just, it, 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 it's infuriating, right? Because I, I want to see them just waiting for her to, to, just finally put it all out there. And the fact that Joe never saw, you know, I think he, he said, you know, he never realized how she felt was just so telling of how detached and just clueless and, and non observational he is. And so I, you know, I, I was watching this film getting increasingly frustrated, (laughs) just thinking, when is the injustice going to stop? Right. And yeah, until the very, and even at the very, very end, I was surprised still. So I wanted to focus for a second on uh, David's sort of subplot. So he has a short story that he's written and he just really wants his dad's um, approval and kind of blessing on it or feedback, I guess at least. And um, it's telling very early on that, uh, Joan tells David what she thought is beautifully written. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. What does dad, did dad read it? And that's kind of planting the seed for, uh, for the way, the way that the rest of that storyline is going to go. And David is really ends up being the, uh, well, Nathaniel bone meets up with him later on. And he's sort of the catalyst for things really spiraling out of control in the third act. Um, so how did, what did you think about David's subplot? And that's actually played by Max Irons, son of Jeremy Irons, which I, I keep forgetting that that's the case. Um, right, right. Exactly. Yes. And also Annie, I wanted to mention too, because I, I just realized this again, that uh, young Joan was played by Annie Stark, who's the real life daughter of Glenn Close. So she's playing a young version of her mom in this film, which I thought was interesting. I love, yeah, I love that. And it's such an interesting detail, isn't it? I, I love that subplot. I think I, I can actually, on a personal level, and, and not to get into into too much, because oh, that's a different podcast, but I can certainly understand this wanting to get approval from your father. Uh, I have personal experience with that. And so I can... I understand what, how important it is to just get a little bit of that validation. If, if, you know, I understand not wanting, not caring what anyone else thinks, but there's always that one person whose opinion does matter. And, you know, to see him so desperately want to just get some words of, comfort, affirmation, validation from his father, just saying, you know, son, I took, I took some time out of my day. I prioritized you. I can relate 
to you know what you to what you wrote and i think you're on the right track just to hear the to hear that from somebody who is this figure right not just your father but it happens to be that your father is this storied writer to, to want that I, I i felt for him I, I i can relate to that on a very deep and personal level and my heart was broken for him especially because of the irony of the fact that all along the person who actually did give you that validation the person who did read your work the person who did think it was great was actually the person whose opinion really did matter in the end and Joe is just very dismissive of his son, like throughout, like he, um, yeah. he's just, you know, oh, we'll talk about it later. Or, yeah. you know, he's introduces his son and his son is, you know, still waking up from the travel. And he's just, he kind of like uses his son as the butt of his joke again, to get laughs out of people around him to make himself look good. Um, and as, as you said, he turns out that he was, as he says at one point, worshiping at the wrong parental shrine. Um, That's right. Right. Which, exactly. is, which is a great line. Um, such a great line. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, just so much of, of his, and then, you know, I think trying to get the, uh, approval of your parents, I think is something that pretty much everybody can, can relate to on some level or another. And she even says at one point to Joe, uh, it's not easy being your son, you know, his approval doesn't mean anything coming from me. Everyone needs approval, which is sort of also, I think in a way, kind of her being like, you know, there's a, there's a, a talking about herself because there's a lot of, um, uh, lines of dialogue and, uh, things in here that felt very meta to me. Like there's a, there's at one point he's when Joe finally does talk to David about his story, he's compliments it. But then he says, Oh, the, I don't know. If, I don't know if I really buy into the couple. It's, it feels like a cliche, the blowhard husband and the stoic wife with repressed rage. I'm like, geez, that sounds like the movie we're watching right now. There's a lot of that kind of thing about just demonstrating Joe's uh, lack of self-awareness and the lack of the fact that he's been leeching off of his wife. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's extended to his kids. Um, as Dave, as David says, at one point, you made a slave of my mother, he says to her, which I really, I was like, I got to write that down. Cause that's a really powerful line. And it is essentially on some level what, what he's been doing. Again, it, it really speaks to, and, and and I have to bring it back a little bit to, you know, Christian Slater's character, because he was a bit of a, catalyst in helping to bring some of these emotions to the surface I think mm-hmm. I think he was really important in in helping these characters not so I mean not so much Joe really because I think Joe is just really stuck in his head in in many ways but I think that you know he helped kind of give David a little bit of the ammunition to be to, to confront, right. To, to really kind of, he, he set a little bit more of a fire underneath him. It's important to point that out in, in the film, but yeah, you know, I think David's character is, I think really important. And I, it is, it is kind of a side thing, but I think it really is important in terms of looking at how the children play a role in there. I guess the children are the common denominator in some ways. And we see that when, the grandchild is born, right? When Mm -hmm. the grandchild is born, suddenly there's this, you know, they're instantly connected again, um, these two characters. And so I, I, I really do see the, the importance of the children and the grandchildren playing in how this marriage also stays together in, in many ways. I thought that was a great moment too, because you, you see how, how quickly they're, they're, 
their dynamic, the mood switches. They're like, like screaming at each other and then lost in sort of this this very joyful moment of their grandchild being born. And to that point, I think that the ultimate, the, the, the point of the film is is uh, a question of legacy, like Joe's legacy, Joan's legacy, and that carries on, of course, to their kids and their grandchild. That's why I think it feels like a very random aside thing for their grandchild to be born, but it does it does underscore that theme, I think, in a lot of ways. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. And what I really liked about uh, Glenn Close's performance here is that she does get a chance to... I mean, in a lot of ways, it feels like the ultimate Glenn Close performance because she gets to be... Uh, restrained. She gets to kind of seethe and rage. She gets to uh, be kind of grief stricken. She gets to have to try tears of joy. She gets to blow up at him and have these like ve- very Oscar clippy moments where she's screaming at him about how uh, how she just can't do it anymore and how he goes around saying that his wife doesn't write in that moment that she screams at him and I got like chills on the back of my neck when she does because it's so powerful. Uh, and then he asks her, "Well, if I'm such an asshole, why did you marry me?" And she's like, "I don't know." I I think that was a very powerful scene as well. Um, I mean, that conversation he he oh he actually couldn't handle it, right? <laughs> so um, he literally couldn't handle that when she finally does put everything out there, mm-hmm. um, which is which is also just his fragility, you know. <laughs> at first, I thought, oh my gosh, what's happening at that moment? But then I had a moment of relief, but then. So I'm still I'm actually still working through all the different things I felt at that moment. But yeah, her whole entire, you know, she what's what's beautiful about Glenn Close, I think, is when you give her an opportunity to show a million ranges of emotion, she she does it so well. Mm -hmm. Right. From 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 this kind of elegant grace of restraint to to losing her patience, to finally blowing up, to showing, you know, then showing joy about, you know, her, this new life that's just come into the world, to anger, to, it just, it, it, you see this full range of emotion in that, in a film, that's always beautiful to see. I, I love to see characters that are, Developed, right? You can see just every range of emotion because women, and and also, you know, going back to the, you know, to that moment with Christian Slater, his character in in the restaurant is, you know, you can see that sassy side of her too, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like okay, don't mess with me, honey. Like, you know, you're you're like young enough to be my son. Like, let's, but whatever, you know, I I can hang. Um, That I love that. I just love seeing her in that moment. And it was just so wonderful to see a character that is all of these things, you know, woman, sexy, smart, elegant, restrained, subdued, happy, angry, joyful. It, it, it's wonderful to just to see all of that and to be able to do that, all of these things in such a short amount of time, right? Because the movie was not a very long film and to still do it within the context of who this character is, again, just speaks volumes about the kind of actress that Glenn Close is. Yeah, and especially for 
people, actors of this age, it's so rare that they get such complex roles as this, but I mean, for both close and price, where, you know, they're, they're usually, usually if you see movies like with older people, they're very like, oh, well, you know, just your grandparents or their whatever. And in this movie literally opens with, oh, they're an older couple, but they're in love. They have a healthy sex life. They're literally, there's a sex scene, like basically at the very beginning of the movie. The I know. Scene. And it was awkward though, but it was a bit awkward. <laughs> it is a bit awkward, but I think that, you know, you don't, it, it delves, it's more realistic portrayal of people at this stage of their relationship, 30, 40 years into a marriage, you're going to have moments of spontaneity like that, like you did when you were young, but you're still going to be like, well, now you have decades of baggage going on here. And the fact that the film creates the perfect storm where it's not only the Nobel, Nobel uh, Prize for literature, but also... Nathaniel Bone kind of putting additional, as you're saying, additional kind of heat to the situation that really causes her her big turning point. I mean, she even says at one point, there's nothing more dangerous than a writer whose feelings have been hurt, talking about Nathaniel Bone, but could it just as easily apply to her at the end where she finally realizes that I, she's got to leave him. She can't take it anymore. Um, and I, so I, I love the, the sort of parallels uh, there as well. Oh, I do. Exa- I, I, exactly. I, I think that's it. You're right. You know, to see... In, in this day and age and that's and that you know kind of going back to this conversation about our great films today being made absolutely i think because you have these these phenomenal actors that are it, forget how old they are they're just they're they're still you know it, it, it's hard to say when you know when has glenn close reached her peak right like it's i don't think there that's such a, a such a thing i think she just is always good like non-stop yeah, good yeah Right. Like there's no up or down. Like she just is wonderful. And I feel the same way about Meryl Streep. I think everything she does is brilliant. Um, And it doesn't matter how old she is. It's like, just put her in a film. It's going to make it better. Like when all else fails, throw Meryl, you know, throw Meryl Streep in there and everything will be all right. Um, You know, these actors, the range of anything, their age and wisdom and experience and uh, probably, you know, just adds even more to it, which is why I love seeing you know, um, actors like Morgan Freeman and Liam, and, um, Liam Leeson, um, you know, these actors that are in their sixties and seventies, but they're just still, you know, great, um, and get better with age, I would even say. And so, yeah, it's just to, to, I would love, you know, and it's great to see films that put, um, you know, these, these iconic actors and actresses next to up and coming actors and actresses, I love movies that do that as well because I think you can see this generational talent, and um, and to see Glenn Close in this to, in this performance, and you know also and also you know Jonathan Price and Christian Slater, who and Christian Slater has been acting for a thousand years, right? He's also been around for a long time, so I I was also really happy to see him in this kind of a role as well. Um, so to see these actors do, do this film and where there's no special effects. There's no green screens. There are no, there's no gimmicks or anything. It's just good acting, good script writing, beautifully shot movie with great backgrounds. Cause the, the film is also set, you know, these beautiful, these, you know, you see these kind of, you know, beautiful hotel room settings, beautiful bar settings, beautiful ballroom settings. And I think that also makes the film, just so wonderful yeah it's just gorgeous to look at too in addition to everything else that's going on on screen 
And okay, so I think we need to kind of get to the, the climax of the film. So they're having their big argument, and he's somehow, I guess, over the years deluded himself into thinking that they're writing partners, even though he doesn't even know his own characters. He's been basically gaslighting his wife for decades. So, in the midst of that, he, of course, has a heart attack. Uh, as I established, you know, earlier we mentioned that he's gone through different surgeries and he's constantly eating. And um, so she, he has a heart attack and she immediately snaps into supportive wife mode. She goes right back into, you know, what can I do? Are you OK? You know, that kind of thing, because on some level she does love him and everything, of course. As she she uh, she says in that moment, uh, I thought that was a really beautiful moment too, where she's like, even that even in that moment when he's having a heart attack and she's trying to care for him, he's again making it like, oh, do you love me? The kind of checking with her, like, are we still cool after all this? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and she, of course, being the character that she is says yes i love you so much and he's like well you're you're a terrible liar and uh, and dies very abruptly you know i know I, uh, I thought he was faking it to begin with i i thought it does feel like that doesn't it at yeah the beginning i yeah at the start of you know when she finally was like here let me just tell you what's let me just put it out there now we're getting a divorce like that's it i thought he was faking it at the beginning I thought, oh my gosh, great. He needs to make this about him. He wants to manipulate her into changing her mind. And he's faking this attack. So the fact that he actually died caught me off guard because I thought he was pretending right. to be manipulative. And then she's she's weeping, of course. And, 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 and I think that it's very telling that the camera pans over to the window where it's snowing outside, which felt to me... Like, uh, I guess to mark sort of a, a season changing or something like the dynamic is yeah. evolving into something else. But remember the line that he said, remember that line of poetry that he first said to her about winter or something and snow falling. Oh yeah. It That's comes true. back to that because he also, he also read that to the photographer, the young photographer from earlier on that he was, you know, whatever hitting on or whatever that was, you know, that was his line. That was just, you know, that was his stick. Like, Oh, I'm going to read this beautiful line of poetry. And it's and I can't remember what it was, but it was about snowfall or something. Well, like the, the, there's not only that there, he gets ready to like autograph a walnut for her, just like uh, exactly. Joan finds one of those then his wife's drawer early on, young Joan. So that's I guess his move. He's got this one line of poetry that's his move. and his walnut. He's like autographs for them. He's like, here you go. Yeah, and the move was about the the the, the, the line was about snow. I can't remember it now, but it was about snow falling and weather. So when they when they showed that, I thought, here we go. It's like this poetic, weird reminder of it's actually snowing outside. But the, the line in the poetry that he always said, which wasn't his, because I remember, um, especially when, when that young photographer was like, oh, did you write that? He's like, no, it was by someone else or whatever. James Joyce, I think he mentions. Yes, I think that's, yeah, I think that's right. Um, was about that. And, and to, to, to show that, window in the snow immediately i thought about the poem so you know i thought that was a really interesting point about the poetry and now it's actually in you know snowing outside and here we and here she is you know here here is joan standing there yeah it's a good callback i didn't catch that yeah yeah so that, I, I thought that was again beautifully done the way that they did that, the meaning behind that, because it was, it was such a pivotal, it was, it was, it's the line that made her swoon, right? It was the line that made this young photographer swoon. It was his thing. 
And for that to kind of cumulate into this real life moment of that, I thought was, again, just really brilliantly done. But when he actually died, I thought, oh, wow, he really didn't, he really couldn't handle it. The, the truth, the truth would have killed him, literally, mm -hmm. in, in retrospect, like had this come out earlier, you know, had Christian, you know, Christian Slater's character blown the cap on this whole thing. It, it would have killed him. And then he, even then, he, Christian Slater, Nathaniel Bone comes over on the flight back. Um, and there's a really sweet moment, I think, with the uh, flight attendant where she's saying, oh, I don't know if you remember me, but I, I, I took care of you I, on the flight over. And she's, she's at, she says, oh, I could tell you guys really had a, something special. And Glenn Close is like, how could you tell? And he's like, oh, just the way you were with each other. And so, so I, I guess that speaks to the how well they've they've gotten of keeping up appearances of the fact that everything was so so buried uh buried deep down over the over the years that they've spent together so nathaniel bone comes over and she yeah. threatens to sue him if he reveals anything about joe being a fraud and about her writing the the books or anything even if he like implies that she's gonna to take him to court which i, I so even even in the midst of everything that's happened and her not being able to take it and walking out on him, when her husband passes away, she ultimately decides to publicly keep his legacy intact. Even yeah. though even though David is overheard and she says that when she gets back, they're going to sit down, you know, him and, her, his, and uh, his sister, and she's going to tell them everything. So what was your reaction? This is that big like, deci uh, divisive moment that we were mentioning earlier. What was your reaction to that uh, initially and then kind of since then? I was angry. Well, fair, that's a fair reaction. That was my first reaction. I'm sitting here thinking she's free in so many, you know, she's free. She can put the truth out there now. Um, but she chose to protect his legacy. And at first, you know, and I'm sitting there on the plane like so bad, <laughs> you know, just really, really upset. Because I thought, okay, you know, it, it's she didn't kill him. You know, she has nothing to feel badly about in right. terms. Of, she, there's no guilt there, right? Even though I think, I think that there's that probably she did. She did. She didn't kill him, but the the conversation killed him. Mm -hmm. um, the news of her wanting to get divorced was too much for him to handle. The fact that she. I can't help but think what would have happened if he didn't die and they did get the divorce and they're both still alive. And would she have, what would have happened? Would she still tell the kids the truth, even though they're divorced? Would he ultimately, would the divorce ultimately not physically kill him, but kill the part of him that made him so blind and, you know, ridiculous to the whole situation would it be, I, I can't help but think if he would not have died, would she have finally gotten the credit she deserved? Yeah. Would she have gone through with it or somehow been okay. like, well, maybe, you know, maybe we can patch this up and move out. Cause who knows how many times in the past she hasn't gotten maybe quite to this level, but she's clearly has right. throughout, throughout the movie shows her bitterness and shows her how, how she's upset with him. And he's always like, what the heck, what's wrong with you? This is, let's just, let's just enjoy this. And, you know, watching it, not knowing the truth, you're just like, okay, what's up with her? She, she's in a bad mood. Something's on her mind. And we don't know what that is until later on. And you understand how hard it is for her to see her husband get recognized for her work. Um, 
so yeah, I, I, I think that's, and I think that's the, in, in, you know, the intention of the scene is to us to wonder, well, what, how would she have handled things differently? Is she, right. it, it, you know, do we understand or at least accept her decision to protect her husband's legacy? Is she feel maybe at this point, you know, at this point, what, what is, what purpose does that serve other than upending this, you know, uh, the body of work that her husband has has they worked on together. Like what, she, maybe she feels like at this point, what, it, there's, there's nothing to gain from it. Um, at least, at least publicly, uh, you know, it's, she she has the the silver lining of at least deciding that she's going to be honest with her kids and let them know what's going on and right. probably explain a lot of awkward things in their childhoods. Um, you know, and, and to me that that ending. It really, it really makes a, a powerful point about how how much suffering a wife really endures for the good of her family, and how they really are, in a lot of cases, the stronger one, or really the only strong one, kind of holding the family together. I think in a lot of uh, in a lot of marriages, that kind of tends to be the dynamic, especially for for relationships that started in the fifties and sixties. Like the the wife, the husband went to work, and the the wife, you know, stayed, basically held held everything down. And I think that this film really uh, really highlights that in a way that it, it's it, it's it's both um, both uh, a commentary on and sort of in contrast to everything we see going on now, like with the Me Too movement, like I feel like in a way it's, it's very relevant to everything that's happening in the last few years. I, I agree with you on that. And I think that had he not died, I think Nathaniel probably would have discovered the truth anyway. I think he was, he was, he already knew the truth, right? He already right. knew just, he needed the evidence to kind of back that up. And I think he would have eventually found it, but I agree with you that there's, you know, I think, you know, my first reaction was I was just angry. I'm like, really, girl, you can just this is your moment. Get your credit. And so I was I was frustrated. So many years, so many decades she put up with all this stuff. And now this was an opportunity for her to step out of this shadow and this lie that she's been living under and speak her truth finally. But that is that was my initial reaction. And I, I spent the rest of the flight and, and many days after, and, and in some ways still till this day, thinking about why she did, why she decided to just let that be, just let that stand, let his legacy live. And I think part of that is she, knowing what I know of her and this kind of blank page, right? There was that symbolism around the blank page yep. that she's going to just, she's going to, she's, she's going to take this on because I think even if she did say, okay, you know what, this whole time it's been me now that he's gone, she still has to prove herself, right? Okay. Now he's gone now. So go ahead, write something amazing. Prove that you were actually the voice behind all of this because he's not there to, to, you know, to stick to, to defend that. He's not there to kind of counteract what she's saying. So she has no choice, but to prove it. If you've been the writer of all of these great things all along, then go ahead, write something else amazing. Because either if you don't, then we know that all this time that Joe is Joe, the, the true, the true noble prize winner. But if you can prove yourself as being the actual person by writing incredible things, then okay, fine, we'll believe you. But I think there's a part of her that says, either way, I have to prove myself. Either way, I have to show that, yes, I actually, not only did I write those things, but I 
I can prove that I wrote those things because here's my next body of work Mm -hmm. that's going to be equally amazing. And so either way, she has to prove herself. So now I think it was came down to does destroying his legacy is, is, is that, is that going to really, she still has to prove herself any either way. So why not just at least keep his legacy intact for at least for the benefit of the children or for whatever the reason is, right. It's a very unselfish thing to do, I think, or maybe it's selfish. I don't know, but I, but I can understand now why she decided to keep his legacy intact because either way she has to prove herself either way. She needs to create, define herself now. And, and I have no doubt that she will, right. If this movie continued for another hour, I'm sure that, her, her next thing would be a New York Times bestseller and she will find her way and then her children I guess can benefit from having two amazing writing parents um, as is perceived so I, I you know a part of me still struggles a little bit to be honest but I think that I can also understand why she would just say you know what that's the past let him keep his legacy I, I, at the end of the day, kind of sort of killed him, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so at least I can, I owe him this. I, I did, my, my wanting to divorce him killed him, at least let him have this. I think it's that sense of closure that, at least, like you said, what, what really, sure, she could, maybe she has, uh, you know, drafts and handwriting things that they could probably match up and, and decipher that she really wrote these things. Um, but it's also like at this point, I think she just wanted out of her current situation. She wanted a sense of closure before her only way out was to leave him. Um, and now that, you know, now she, that's already done. So it's just like, why put her and her family through, you know, through that whole, as you said, the whole process and, and like, when she could just get a clean slate and literally a blank page to move from now that and kind of and just close that literal book on uh, on their their marriage and that sort of facade that they had going on right and i think for david too if you think about what what his what what's ahead for him and his writing future right and now that he you know he's he's going to know the truth and he's going to have the real person he should have been worshiping all along at his side giving him the guidance you you know in many ways you kind of create this you know dynasty of just great writers and families without having to tarnish you know without having you know you get this fresh start on a positive footing right like okay yes we we are a family of Nobel prize winning writers um without having to you know you can kind of start off on that foot instead of starting off from the foot of uh this you know this 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 lie that's been around for decades um and not having to deal with the unraveling of all of that and having to go because i i also think in many ways had she said the truth had she let you know nathaniel write the truth um she would probably spend many years going you know unraveling everything right like having to now go backwards in time and relive all of that mm-hmm. and have the children relive all of that. Cause it would happen, right? The Nobel prize in literature, that person, it's, it's a big deal. It's a, it's in the history books now. Yeah. And now you have this next generation, 
you know, for, for David, their first, you know, their first born to have to relive through the unraveling of this lie. And then I think it also casts doubt on the family too, perhaps in the future, like, okay, well, how do we know that he's really writing all this stuff or how do we know? So I, I, I really finally came to terms with understanding and, and even, you know, rethinking my initial, just my initial reaction of this is actually a very smart move on her part. Cause now you don't, you know, she doesn't have to go backwards now. Mm-hmm. She can go forward. She knows what she knows. The family's going to know what they know and she can, she, she obviously will just kill it, right? She's going to be amazing. Nathaniel can write her book review, whatever. Um, so I, I, I kind of think now that it was actually a pretty smart choice thinking long-term. Yeah. And, and she has a new grandchild now and it's just right. And, and, and in a lot of ways it, it gives her the, you know, not, not in necessarily the way she wanted because her husband's now passed away, which is not what she was really intending. Um, but, um, right. but it gives her the fresh start that she's needed, that she's been yearning for all this, all these years to, to finally stand on her own and step out of the shadow of her husband and actually not, you know, not be the support of the wife as the title says and, and be her own person, be a woman who stands alone and, and uh, speaks up for herself. Exactly. And that look on her face at the end was just brilliant because again, it's, there's that, that subtle determination of, all right, I'm ready to rock and roll. Um, and she was just so brilliant at these facial expressions of, understanding what's just beneath the surface, right? There's, there's the facial expression and then there's just what's beneath the surface. And to me, and that kind of blank page symbolism of here we go, like, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to, to rock this out. That sassy, the sassy woman we saw earlier on with, you know, Nathaniel and now, you know, she's this woman on this mission kind of. So I'm, I'm, you know, I, I would, if there was a sequel to this movie, I would absolutely see what, what happened. You know, that there's the two children, the grandchild, you have these three children in the picture, this new generation, you have, you know, her this blank page, new chapter in front of her. So yeah. coming soon, the woman starring Glenn Close. The woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That would be amazing. The divorcee. Like, you know, you the widow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, any of those titles would be great. I would absolutely watch it, and and um, yeah, I think I think it was for that reason. I just thought it was such a, a great a great film, and it's it's you know it's not a film of these are those these films that that tell these stories that so many of us can relate to, right? As a woman, as a white, you know, not as a wife, but as a as as a woman, as a, I, I'm also a writer, um, as you know, looking at the son and this dynamics with the father, all of these characters are, I think, I think there's something that the audience can, can find themselves in, in some of these different characters. Yeah, absolutely. So. I mean, you'll relate to somebody in this. Um, right. So do we, uh, did you have any other final thoughts on the film before we close it out? I just, I, you know, I think if, if someone hasn't seen the film, I highly recommend um that they watch it and that they themselves can add maybe some new perspectives to the to the broader dialogue of 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 this film 
Yeah, and I think that's what surprised me when I first watched it is, you know, I went in expecting a really uh, a really powerful Glenn Close performance, which I got, but I didn't expect it to have this much to, to really dig into. That You know, I'm a, I'm a writer also, obviously, so I, you know, I, anything about the creative process, things like that, I find really engaging to begin with. Plus, I'm in a relationship, obviously. So all that stuff, like there's a lot. I'm a son. So, you know, there's multiple dynamics that you understand where everybody's coming from. And there's many many different entry points for for someone to connect to the story and and as you said question well what would i do in that situation or how much would i put up with like do we understand why she's handling things she's handling things so um it's unfortunate in a way that glenn close didn't get the oscar for this but i've been hearing more and more i know she's going to be in a remake of sunset boulevard that i think is coming out this year or next i'm not sure exactly but i have a feeling it's going to be one of those classic oscar situations where you know someone lost for for an award that that everybody thought they were going to get and so the next year they they you know they finally rectify that that decision i think um i remember like 20 years ago russell crowe was supposed to everybody was thinking he was going to win for the insider and he didn't get that and he got for gladiator instead or denzel washington was very much thought to a favorite to get it for the hurricane and instead he got it for training day the next year and a lot of people were saying oh well training day is a great performance but it's also kind of buoyed by the fact that he kind of should have almost won for the hurricane the previous year so i feel like it's going to be that kind of situation with glenn close and that she'll probably get that Oscar finally for uh, for Sunset Boulevard next year. So we'll see. That'll be interesting to see how we'll it plays see. out. I think it's only. I mean, it's it's been a long time coming, but I think it's it's on the on the horizon for her, and uh, I'm sure that whatever she does next, um, it's going to be great. I'm, I'm, I I literally watch. There's certain movies I watch just because people are in it. I don't even need to know what the plot is. I just like, oh, that that person's in it. I'm right. I'm, I'm done. Like, so she's the same. I will watch whatever she's in. Um, forever and ever and uh, and 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 it's true also you know for for um, the other actors in the film I just you know I think they all did a, a wonderful you know great job so let's see what happens you know my fingers are crossed for Glenn I think you know she's I think she's she'll get it yeah I think so too so Angela thank you so much for being on the Crooked Table podcast can you uh, tell people where they can find you on social media Absolutely. I am on Instagram at Angie B Travels. So please follow me on my random adventures um, around the world in my travels and um, all over the United States. So I look forward to seeing you on there. And I'm also going to be um, launching, relaunching my um, my kind of lifestyle blog and also a podcast very, very soon. And I will be posting about those on my Instagram. So follow me on Instagram at Angie B travels, um, to keep up with the things that are coming in soon. Great. Well, I'll be sure to link to that, uh, on the show, uh, the show post for this on crookedtable.com. Again, thanks so much for coming on. And I think this was a really good film to talk about. It gave me a, a chance to go back and revisit it after a few months, uh, with fresh eyes. So, uh, so yeah, thanks so much. I think this was a terrific conversation, and uh, definitely when uh, you know when you come across something else you want to talk about, let me know. We'd love to have you back. Oh my gosh, I would love to be back. Your podcast is awesome. I'm going to also share this broadly. I'm on Facebook and all these other things. So I'm also going to share it across my channels. And thank you so much for having me. It's been so wonderful. Same here. Likewise. Thanks so much, Angela. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. 
until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-O-K-E-D. <laughs> <laughs>